Welcome to How Did You Think of That? My name is Temple Brandon, Professor of Animal Science at Colorado State University. My main obsession, Temple, is inventing things. Well, I kind of do the same thing. That is Elizabeth Streb, an extreme action specialist, an action architect, choreographer, superhero, to name just a few ways she has been described. She comes from a modern dance lineage, descended from Martha Graham and Morse Cunningham, and is a recipient of the MacArthur Genius Award. I think failure, failing forward, is the nugget of ideas and content. Streb's edict as a choreographer is to make the action of gravity as the subject of her dances. Streb and Grandin do vastly different things, but they have a lot in common. They are both inventors impacting the world who grew up wanting to fly. In this episode of How'd You Think of That, they illuminate the process of machinery design and how it inspires dreams and brings out skills and innovations, and how to open doors to careers and opportunities. One of Streb's former dancers, Ned Malouf, introduces the show. I was in Elizabeth's company in the, in the early 90s, and I, I thought you two would hit it off. So I kind of made this connection. So I hope, hope it's a, a success. <laughs> okay, well, great. And Temple, she has your book and she's read much of it. Your new book, Visual Thinking. Okay, yeah, great. I haven't mastered it, Temple. Okay, well, you looks like you put a few post-it notes in it. So yes, I did. I did. It's absolutely your language and your categorization is completely fascinating. And so I, uh, I kept thinking, where would I fit in? And I, I don't know if I do fit in, but I've always fancied myself to be on the spectrum, spectrum somewhere, but um, not, not legally and not actually probably. Well, the thing is, autism is a true continuous trait. And when does slightly nerdy become autistic? And the problem is, in the milder forms, I think it's just a personality variant. And, okay. you know, and then you have really severe forms, you know, where there's no speech and there may be motor and coordination problems. I think it's a mistake that you've got a spectrum so broad mm-hmm. and so many different types of people on it. But a lot of gifted scientists, I worked with mechanics on equipment that I designed that it took a single welding class and they were uh, uh, either autistic or dyslexic or ADHD. Wow. And they owned metalworking shops. Jeez. And Jeez. then today, these kids are just going in special ed and they don't get to take shop. That's a tragedy, right? It's a tr- very big tragedy. And that's and one of the things that motivated me to write visual thinking is I'm really concerned about skill loss and the stuff that we're not able to do. And um, I had I talked to a lady, autistic lady, just recently, and she was upset with this business uh, because the lobby wasn't inclusive for autistic people. I, I don't know. What do you mean by this? Well, then after talking to her 15 minutes, she was annoyed that it didn't have any art from people with autism on the walls. OK, now that's something they can correct that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. specific. Yeah. But when you just talk about a vague, inclusive lobby. There's some other things like I don't want LED lights that flicker in there that I don't want in there. But it would be easy to put some of that art on the walls. You see, as a visual thinker, that's something specific that would make it more inclusive for autistic people. It's just so amazing. I first learned of you way long ago at Creative Capital when you got a grant at Creative Capital with Ruby Lerner for this chair you invented that was 
I mean, my understanding was for autistic people to sit well, in. Well, Wendy Kenib, too. I mean, I did my squeezing machine. Squeezing I machine. got that idea for a cattle squeeze chute because I had horrible panic attacks. And I found that the deep pressure helped calm me down. I, and I built that all myself. I figured out how to build it. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, designing something. And I, I know you probably know this about Streb or not, but I've decided that people dancing around, the subject of action is not the body. We know what the body can do. And I bet you've run into this in, in your world. But then I realized we don't have a nomenclature, the way music has keys yeah, and yeah. notes and da 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 or theater or, or grammar has Shakespeare, but also they have nouns and verbs and yep, you know, okay. idea of iambic pentameter um, from Mary Oliver, the poet, you know, you take a breath in and then how many words can you say when the breath is gone? And it's fascinating to understand that dance is a, a, a very young field and our nomenclature are all the machines we have all the machines we invent to get off the ground and deal with force. That's your art, and I wouldn't be caught dead going around on that ladder because <laughs> my balance is absolutely terrible. Okay, the ladder is a fairly simple device, and you're doing all kinds of fantastic things on that ladder. Streb showed us a video of one of her company's vast repertoire called Ascension, where dancers perform amazing gravity-defying feats on a vertically spinning ladder. Then we viewed what's called the gizmo, a donut-shaped object where performers can run on the inside and outside of the counterweighted wheel that recalibrates gravity. Looking at it from a design standpoint, it's it's so novel. It's really novel. It's really, really novel. You know, you're scribbling it on paper, ideas. We used to do this for equipment. Oh, you know, you think packaging machines is all kinds of equipment, and you have to think up how the thing is going to work, and you scribble it. Yeah. And then the next phase is drawing a scale drawing. You can do it on CAD now. But somebody Maybe. had to think up this basic design. It was probably scribbled on legal pad somewhere. Probably. But you know what? What, Temple? I mean, what's amazing and what separates us, and it makes me a little sad on some level, you make the world a better place with your inventions. You make the industry better, higher. And I just make machines and you know, I have lots of people training the dancers, but I just make machines that will do unreasonable things and create an acceleration. But then on the them. other hand, I'm very interested in getting kids into different careers. Oh, we kids to, oh. to a show where they oh. watch this, like especially an autistic kid, they go, wow, I'd want to make those things. So that brings up a very, a really important thing in careers. Kids get an interest in stuff they get exposed to. Absolutely. I mean, like kids see roller coasters and they want to design roller coasters. We have a kids. I just wanted to brag a little. We have a kids action program here for the whole 40 years I've been doing it. But we've been here 20 years at SLAM. SLAM is an acronym for Streb Lab or Action Mechanics located in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And yes. kids action is madly popular. Cassandra Joseph, my co-artistic director, has taught these kids and now they're in college, the first team of them. But they do things, and we have a bunch of kids on the spectrum that we don't necessarily. Good. And I think that's with. great because too many kids on the spectrum, uh, a parents baby them too much. They're not learning shopping. They're not learning laundry. They're not learning bank account. They're not learning basic skills. No, and it's no. really, it's really a mess. And 
But I think that they believe they can fly. And that's been my main. But you see, okay. but this is what gets, when I was a young child, I, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was fly. But well, there then, you I go. How much school, you have so much in uh, well, I, I'm klutzy. When I got into high school, and balance was so bad yeah. that I could never learn how to, I could never learn how to ski where you keep them together like this. And they had a little ski jump at my school. And I was terrified to go over it. But one time I did, I fell. I <laughs> I just didn't have the balance. There's no way I could do those dances. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm not physically that coordinated. But I believe uncoordination, my whole nugget, of content is falling and landing because yes. for example, no one lands in circus or dance. And it's because there's no nomenclature. And I believe these machines are a nomenclature just like instruments are for, for instruments are for music and also just like grammar and language is for theater or well, literature. It, it's, um, but not um, for not for not for dance. Dance is all they do is on the ground step dance. Oh my God, it's so boring. But they do things on that equipment that's just absolutely amazing. Oh, well, uh, absolutely thought, amazing absolutely. stuff that I couldn't possibly do. And and another show I sometimes enjoy watching is like Ninja Warriors, and they've got all those contraptions they've got to go through. And I think somebody's, you know, jealous that making those things and yeah. thinking up all those ideas. And I'm going to bet you that they're the my kind of visual thinker, and they just uh, they just see how to make it work, or they experiment. Like I think I think I don't know how you feel about this, but I think failure, failing forward, is the nugget of ideas and content. Well, a lot failure. of kids to, a lot of kids today are too afraid to fail. When I was a young child, I would tinker for hours with little bird kites. And kids don't do that. In fact, I got a kid's uh, book called Calling All Minds, where I've got all my little bird kite experiments in it. What's and a I bird tinkered kite? for hours. There it is right here, Calling All Minds. All minds. Oh, would man. tinker for hours to get this parachute that I made out of a scarf to open up, you know, more quickly. <laughs> and kids don't do that kind of tinkering. I think you're right. And I think, like, I mean, in terms of my place in the dance world, I, I feel like I've made my place in the dance world, but I am not normal, you know, and I've taken a long time to figure out how people aren't upset about me hurting people or the machines being da too dangerous. But if, if you're not going to get off the ground, then you don't encounter forces and you are not moving. Well, uh, I could never learn to ski with my feet together because my cerebellum is 20% smaller than normal. And I'm not going to get up on those contraptions, but there's other people that, that have that skill. It's an acquired skill. I'm a big fan right now of complementary skills. I can't do what you do in dance, but the kind, my kind of minds that work in the shop and things like that, you know, could invent the next really cool device well, for you to perform on. So that on. would be you're, now you're teasing. Minds. Now you're teasing me, Temple. Okay. They could did make. You, did you draw the draw? Did you draw the first sketch for that device? Nope. Okay, that's what I didn't think so, and oh, and that's but this is where you need <laughs> that one that I invented or that person that builds things. Maybe yeah. the can't do algebra who thinks up the idea for that device. Well, I would love. I mean, we would not. We would obviously pay them. I'm not pretending they would do it for free, but I could show you a whole array of 
how many machines we have in our. But this is the thing. And then how do new machines form? What I have found in machinery design is that there's a lot of machinery designs where it's like something else. Now, of course, some of the things in the well, we're designing a beef plant like to take the hide off the cattle. And somebody invented a device that, that grabs the hide that's actually like a sort of like an old fashioned clothes wringer. And it'll grab the end of the hide and pull it off. You see, but that's an example. It's kind of a yucky example, but it's an example of how, okay, a clothes wringer idea became this machine. This is like a dream come true for me, Temple, because I, I, I mean, you could redesign the education system not just in the world, but in America. You see, this is what worries me, and this gets back to education, is that you need us visual minds that keep things going. Yeah, you know, okay. there's the mathematical part of engineering, but there's also the strictly, uh, you know, mechanical seeing stuff engineering. Yeah. And I can remember sitting in a conference room at one of the big meatpacking plants, and they wanted to redesign some of the conveyors in the ceiling, and uh, I can go, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. you pull a rail off the ceiling i could just you know look at the drawing and then i could run it in my mind wow and at the time that i was doing a lot of that stuff i didn't know that other people were not able to run that conveyor in their mind and they don't know what they're missing in terms of knowledge on that level well i can't do abstract math so i've used an example of the mars rover the mathematicians get it there but each one of those those two cameras that are in there they're about maybe a foot long in the rover? Yep. The two main cameras. They'll they'll each one of those will fit in a shoebox. They're small. Wow. Somebody hand built those on a workbench. Wow. Yeah, wow. you see that often doesn't get enough credit. And There's how long done wiring them? all over the rover? If you go look at all the selfie pictures it's taken, hand done wiring all over it. Incredible. Incredible. And the mathematicians get it there. You and see, you need the whole team. Elizabeth, you've been wildly successful in your own right. And um, I, I wanted you to talk to human movement potential. And are you preparing humans to live in space and in zero gravity through your work? I really have a bird's eye view on what I'm doing. And I don't, well, I don't plan to go live in space myself. Okay. And, uh, there's no gravity there. And so for me, my nugget, of force is gravity and the promulgation of gravity. And I don't want to float around in space because I don't have any ideas for movement there. So it depends I, on gravity, okay? It depends on gravity, yeah. And, okay, and I can see that. I mean, even the four forces, where you basically have, well, gravity is one of them, and then the strong and weak nuclear forces are the other two. And then there's another one that can't be employed by the body, but um, I only do Newtonian, you know, I'm a Newtonian mm -hmm. inventor. I don't do those types of forces where you're in a different atmosphere and you're floating around and stuff. I just think, well, I'm never going to land. This is boring. It's too lyrical. Outer space is too near lyrical for me. Well, then you stick on Earth and have gravity. Yeah, yeah. And and it, you know what? I know that I'm alone, alone in Explorer, working in a field that is not necessarily advancing because it's so young and i i do believe it doesn't have an, a nomenclature meaning it doesn't have a a body of knowledge that would force the dancer 
I will say modern dance is the most impecunious field on God's earth. I don't so, know what impecunious means. Very poor. There's mean, not a lot of money. Okay, financially, uh, short it's, financially. It's Yeah, very short financially. And I, I believe it's because we ha we are a young field. That's what I finally discovered. Well, uh, the thing I think is interesting, this is making me think about how different sports were added to the Olympics, you know, like all kinds of snowboarding. Yeah. stunts and stuff were added to the olympics you know maybe maybe well your field can get added to the olympics it's possible although i'd have to go faster probably now what well, about cirque du soleil are you doing anything with them well we did something in their 20th anniversary we went up streb went up to montreal yeah. and it was cirque du soleil and streb and it was really i i walked around to see if the audience would be bummed out when a streb piece came out we were slamming into plexiglass walls and diving off of things. And we had a fly machine that someone got attached to a, a circle uh, a spinning device. And there was a weight on the very primitive, a weight on the other side. And I wanted to hear the, the audience start booing. Whoa, who's that up there? Get out of there. But they didn't, they didn't even notice that we weren't circus. Another one of Streb's pieces is called The Human Fountain. It takes place on a scaffold with three levels of departure points, with the possibility of having 16 dancers in the air at one time, falling to the crash mat in synchronicity. When you're in the room and you hear how hard they land, it's shocking because one thing Streb has, well, we have a lot of things, is impact from 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet. No one does that in the dance world. No one does that in the circus world. They never land. And I feel like that's a huge part of the grammar and kind of organic sense of action. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to land, you know, and on your stomach, on your back. That's it. You know, when I can remember when snowboarding was invented and they were kicking them off the ski slopes. That's not <laughs> Probably happening me. now. You know, new sure. sports get in, invented. Yeah, they do. You know what I think also, Temple? The art world is so um, fussy, and it really isn't egalitarian. You know, what I, do you mean I it's fussy. I don't know what you mean by that. Um, it means that it's not uh, invited into like uh, the rabid ground of everybody. You know, it's not like boxing. It, it's done by privileged people for the most part. I'm saying, and because I pretended I was a privileged person, I learned how to lose my accent from upstate New York. And, and I, I tried to figure out how to, but I didn't. Uh, but there's also just, okay, like the ladder and the, the round thing. I like watching that stuff. I mean, when I watch the Olympics, I, I like watching it. some of the extreme snowboarding stuff. And I'm like, wow, how does he do that? I, how, I, she I, do, how is that done? I find those things really interesting to watch. And then I watch the Paralympics and, you know, one-legged skiing and doing fantastic things, fantastic wheelchairs they had designed for skiing wow. and doing some wow. fantastic things in it. Um, wow. I, I really liked that because they were showing that, you know, somebody's missing a leg or whatever can really go out and still do some fantastic things. But I like watching those things that require great skill and yeah. something I couldn't do. But I do like to watch that. I guess I think the esotericness of dance, modern dance, and that is where my reputation resides, unfortunately. 
And now when you do this work, do you have music with it usually? No, music is a true enemy of dance. Okay. We, I have a, um, like a scientist of oral sounds. So we have mics planted everywhere. So the room becomes an instrument. So you hear the action, the rhythm of the action for each of the pieces. We do have some music that squeaks in every so often, though, so people well, don't get Well, the thing it. is, is just let, let's take the acts that your profession has that Cirque du Soleil, I think, is going to like better. Yeah, exactly. And just show off the work. Yeah, yeah. And let the work sell itself. How did you avoid them stealing your idea? Not that anyone has stolen my idea yet. But <laughs> I, think it is. I, I know a lot about patent law. Because I had to design equipment sometimes to uh, design around patents. It has to be novel and non-obvious. That's what in patent law. Novel. Mechanic. Novel and non-obvious. And non-obvious. Okay, that's great. That's beautiful. You know, even if the even if the idea comes from some other thing, it's being oh. used for something that had nothing to do with the original thing. Yes. And the other thing they can't steal is the ability of the performers on the apparatus. Yes, that's true. They can't steal that. No, they can rip off the apparatus, they're probably going to fall off of it. Yeah, no, they would. They, they and so the skill of the performers, yeah. they can't steal that. It's a unique vocabulary. That's it. And yeah. people are going to rip stuff off. I had that happen with all my inventions. I had a guy call me up and say, we're going to just, uh, he snuck into a plant, um, caught him with 30 blurry pictures of it, and he goes, ha, 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 we're going to just rip it off. That wasn't very nice. But you're selling the performers and the talents of your performers. Yeah, that would be that. And I would emphasize that because I think both the ladder and the round thing should be in Vegas hotels. I know. I'd, I'd, be, uh, I'd be living high in the hog, I think, if I was there. You know what I did with Mr. Fielding at Cargill? I found what? out they were building a new plant. I didn't know how to call him. I took a big fold-out drawing, some plastic pages of pictures, my brochure, a couple of trade magazine articles, cover letter, sent it off, sold the job. Wow. I sold Cargill on wow. one packet of information sent That's to Mr. Fielding, who was the head of Cargill at the time. I designed the front end of every Cargill beef plant in North America. That's very, that's very Because I sent one portfolio. No contact name there. Oh, I had the name of the person. Yeah, the name of the person. Okay. Well, this is where you get on LinkedIn and you find out online. And I would read my trade magazines. Okay. And I would find out. I used to cold call up engineering offices. I used to call up plant and I go, engineering office, please. And they said, <laughs> Mr. Smith, oh, can I have a stretch line extension? <laughs> and then once I got him on the phone, yeah. I sent him a packet of drawings. Now I'd go to a web page. But you just need to get those two videos and i wouldn't put you use a lot of jargon in your field My jargon. And just, and i'm telling you how to sell it okay okay as i've done that yeah. and you just say this is our gizmo act and this yeah. is our ascension act i think sometimes less explanation and just uh, let them watch the videos streb is working on another ambitious invention based on the maverick wave that is mechanical and does not involve any water. Maverick waves are 100-foot waves. One place is Cortez Bank, and it's 100 miles off the coast of Los Angeles. And the waves have been coming across the Pacific for, you know, days and weeks probably. And when they get to that spot, 
because there's something under the water. They come to that spot and the waves are 100 feet, 70 feet high, and they have to be dropped in by helicopters. And then those waves are going so fast, so fast. And when the surfers are crazy and when they fall, the crashing of the wave is not normal. It's going every which way with force that you can't imagine. So I've become very obsessed with that. And we're creating a wave inside Slam, our studio. You're making a wave inside an arena or something? Well, inside. My my studio is Slam. It's 30 feet high, 100 feet long, and and, and 50 feet and wide. And so you're going to make a big wave. Well, that's that's going to cost $250,000. And I'm not sure it's going to go to market <laughs> $250,000, and of course, it has to be portable to be taken down to yes. go to the venues. Exactly. And I'm not planning to bring water in. I want to do oh, it. Oh, no, no, no. I realize you're not going to have water in there. But what you're doing is you're getting the idea from the, see, the idea for that came from a wave. Yes, it did. It didn't come from nothing. No, and, and I think, I mean, do you think it's possible for somebody to invent a machine that no one's ever imagined before and there's no mechanical facet to it that has ever been used well, now i'm seeing all the research are doing what they call biomimicry where you take uh, engineering you know like how's the bumblebee fly things like that how birds make a you know have a take ideas from birds and use it aircraft and getting all these ideas from nature yeah. to make stuff which is amazing. That's, that's a yeah, that's a big thing in engineering right now. Okay, well it's been great to talk to you. Why well, same here, Temple. My mind is absolutely spinning and so is my heart. Thank you so much. But in case you have an idea for a strip machine, I am all ears. And and we would pay you well, so you know, I'm just saying. It's totally fantastic what you do on those machines too. Thank you. It's hard to say goodbye. All right, it's time to say goodbye. Thank you for having me. You say so long. So right. long. Okay. That was Elizabeth Streb speaking with Temple Grandin. You can learn more about Streb and her dance company at streb.org. Thanks to Ned Maloof and Jolene Bailey for production assistance. Music compositions by Rebecca Baker and the Utah State University Music Department. How Do You Think of That is a production of the Utah STEM Action Center and SQ Productions. This podcast is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1745674.